You're listening to Grindhouse Courthouse. We put movies on trial to determine whether or not a film has committed too many movie misdemeanors to be considered viewable. Please rise for the Honorable Judge this episode. Welcome to Grindhouse Courthouse. Court is now in session. Your judge for this week is me, Matt, here to preside over a totally fair and totally unbiased trial. Joining me for today's proceedings are my esteemed members of the jury, Dylan and Dave. Say hello to the people out there, you two. Hey, guys. Hello. On this week's docket, we'll be hearing the case of The People versus Unhinged. Unhinged was released in August of this year of our Lord 2020 in theaters during a pandemic. <laughs> After a production of budget of $33 million, it currently has a box office gross of $43 million, which is not bad but puts it behind, squarely behind the likes of other 2020 movie classics like Doolittle and Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> Unhinged was directed by up-and-coming filmmaker and license plate enthusiast Derek Bort and stars <laughs> Karen Pistorius alongside Academy Award winner Russell Frickin' Crowe. Pistorius plays Rachel, a single mother running late to work who instigates a confrontation at a traffic light with an unstable man in a pickup truck played by Russell Crowe. She then becomes the target of his rage as he's determined to teach her a lesson. What ensues is a bloody game of cat and mouse that shows you never really know who you're driving next to. So the question for today's trial, is Unhinged a prescient commentary on the precarious state of mental health in our society, or is it an unintentionally perfect encapsulation of the smoldering dumpster fire that is Russell Crowe? Or, I, I mean, year 2020. <laughs> Serving as the public defense for Unhinged, a man who just wants to share his sick Fortnite strategies with us, we have Adam. <laughs> Serving as the prosecution today, he can happen to anyone, we have Tom. <laughs> we will begin today's proceedings by hearing opening statements from the prosecution. Tom, please take it away. Unhinged is a film that is daring you to give less of a shit constantly. <laughs> Although it is technically competent and there are no uh, particularly negative performances in it, the premise behind the entire film is what if someone had a bad day and then wanted you to also have a bad day? And <laughs> that is essentially as far as they take it. It's boring, it's contrived, it's trite, it's... It relies too heavily on convenience and happenstance to be believable. And at the end, there are no character arcs, there's no development, and the movie just finishes. Everything that everyone does in almost every scene is unbelievable, unrealistic, and I can't suspend my disbelief when watching it. For that reason, I would argue that this is a terrible film that should not be viewed. Was that your opening and closing? Yeah, let's go straight to deliberation. <laughs> yeah, I'll edit that and just put it as your closing statement so you don't have to repeat it. <laughs> All right, strong words from the prosecution. Adam with the defense, what, what say you? Thank you, Judge. Jury members, people of the court, Unhinged is a movie that provides us with a look into the darker side of society. The audience gets a glimpse of the horror that can follow when one is pushed over the edge and has nothing left to lose. In the days where there is so much uncertainty and rest towards the injustice that people are facing on a daily basis, Unhinged hits close to home 
and will leave you with a sense of paranoia the next time you leave your house. For this, Unhinge is a masterpiece. Thank you. That's a boy masterpiece. Strong words, yeah. Those are bold words. <laughs> yeah. All right. So with our opening statements out of the way, we'll move on to our first scene that we'll discuss at length here. The inciting incident of the movie, the first traffic confrontation with Russell Crowe. So what happens here is Rachel's driving with her son. He's late for school. She's late for work. A million other lousy things happen to her on the way to work. And she gets in a road rage confrontation with Russell Crowe, a fat unhinged, unstable guy in a big, fat-ass pickup truck at a stoplight. <laughs> Remember, I'm being totally unbiased and <laughs> balanced here. Your Rachel- Honor, the prosecution would like to recognize that Russell Crowe is indeed fat. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Your Honor, Your Honor, is a pickup truck the only thing that this fat-ass could fit into? <laughs> <laughs> it might be. I can't. I can neither confirm or deny that his belly is touching the steering wheel at all times while he's driving this. Yeah, that's cruise control, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens? Rachel is stubborn and rude, and Crow says, "I don't think you know what a bad day is," and vows to teach her a fucking lesson, and setting off this whole cat and mouse chase for the rest of the film. So the important question for us to deliberate upon right now is, or is not. Russell Crowe wearing a fat suit in this movie. <laughs> Prosecution, what say you? Your Honor, I would like to believe that Russell Crowe is wearing a fat suit. Russell Crowe has been in some fantastic films in his time. Gladiator, Master and Commander, a couple others, I guess. But the point <laughs> is, throughout this entire movie, most of his scenes are filmed with him sitting down. It is not a fat suit. It is real. <laughs> This movie represents the bottom of Russell Crowe's career. I'm not sure if he could be a part of a worse, shittier film, but time makes fools of us all, as we know. Now, actually, I'll just leave it there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's a beautiful way of ending it. <laughs> but does it, but does Russell Crowe's weight impact the movie does it does it make it less of a film just because he is overweight and i i I think no i think this is russell crowe's character and his physique truly represents what we are seeing in reality today he he embodies a normal human being that you would encounter in the states you the that you would see in this scenario so i think russell crowe did a great job with getting into shape for this role and really embodying the character so kudos to Mr. Crow. Wait, so are we both in agreement now that he's he actually just got fat and he's not wearing a fat suit? He's been just <laughs> going full method for this role that he's been he's been working on this for the past decade for just this <laughs> yeah, moment. Has- yes, Your Honor, full method. This is the culmination of ten years of <laughs> shitty pub food and no exercise. He had he's his eye on this it. movie this whole time, <laughs> just like in his back pocket. I need to do one hinge, but I need to be at least two hundred and fifty pounds to do so. Your I Honor, think he was more than two hundred and fifty pounds. Looking okay. at his entire body of work, then has Russell Crowe's entire career been building to this? Most literally in his waistline. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think this is perhaps his crowning achievement of his whole career. Correct. 
Yes. I, I mean, Gladiator was good and all, but... And I, don't know. I, I mean, Master and Commander remains one of my favorite films, but I think that uh, what he offers in Unhinged is basically next to nothing. <laughs> I, I will admit that the only reason why any of us were interested in this film is because of Russell Crowe. If you had cast anyone else in the villain role, uh, we wouldn't have watched it. What about Christian Bale? He would have got fat for this role. <laughs> I believe that Christian Bale's career is in a much healthier place. I, I don't think Christian Bale needs to do a movie like Unhinged in the same way that Russell Crowe needed to be in this film. Something with a terrible script and poor direction and basically no moral or lesson or value to it whatsoever. Outside of, I wonder what would happen if someone that I met on the road wanted me to have a bad day. Because that is essentially the setup for this entire movie. Yes, and... If you honk at someone, they could get out of their car and beat you to death and kill your friends and your family. And this is where I have to now, pay... Now, I'm just a simple country lawyer, but my <laughs> opponent lives in a big city. Now, maybe this hits closer to home for him, but I don't believe for a second that any of Russell Crowe's unhinged rampage could take place in the real world. <laughs> I mean, usually usually I don't allow like personal attacks among the counselors in my courtroom, but uh, in this instance, I'll allow it. <laughs> and this is where I strongly disagree. I think that this scene between the two leads is a perfect, perfect embodiment of a modern day thriller. The writer has taken a very real life scenario for anyone living in a big city. I'm sorry I'm not a country folk, like my opponent, but this is a scenario that could potentially happen to anybody living in a large city that deals with a lot of traffic. And the writer for this played off that what if scenario and they played off of it very well because doing a one day thriller as we're seeing with Unhinged, because it does all take place in one day, there are a lot of challenges. So this confrontation scene is the perfect way of setting up what this thrill ride this adventure that we're going to be going on and Russell Crowe performs it perfectly. We get this deranged madman that we don't know a lot about. And this, I feel, is good writing, good storytelling. Russell Crowe to us is just an ambiguous character. Yes, we get a preview at the very beginning of the movie that um, there was something going on with his ex-wife and bad relationship, but that is it. We don't know if... There's other factors that are contributing to Russell Crowe's pushing over the edge. It could be a mental disorder or a mental illness. It could be other factors that are contributing, but this is left empty to us. So it is left to our imaginations of what could be triggering this. And we are just seeing the tipping point of this scene. And indeed, we never learn <laughs> what motivates Russell Crowe's character. Outside of him popping pills and killing his ex-wife, that is the full extent of his characterization throughout the entire film. He kills people, he's fat, and he murders. And I'm fine with this. We do not need to know the full background behind this character because, again, if you were to put yourself in this scenario, you would not know the background of the person that's honking at you or you're honking at them. So this lays it up perfectly to be a very real-life scenario. Unhinged nailed that. One thing that we've already established that we do know about Russell Crowe's character is that he is fat. <laughs> Uh, also, counselor, are you are you uh, insinuating that only those with mental health disorders are capable of becoming unhinged? No, I'm saying this is one factor or one element of Russell Crowe's character that is acknowledged. But I'm saying there could be a list of other factors that contribute to his 
psychotic behavior and this breaking point. Counselor, do you also believe that Russell Crowe's character could be a Jedi? They don't specifically state it in the film, so it could be a very real possibility, yes? That's right, the Airbud defense. I'll allow it. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> Why are you bringing Jedis into this? <laughs> No, we have no hint of the Force or Star Wars being mentioned in this movie, so it is disregarded. But it could be there, therefore making him a very well-written character because they don't state it in the movie. That seems to be the crux of your argument. Because they fill in no information, we're just supposed to they give insert our own interpretation onto the character, but there's nothing there to grab on. They give you enough to go off of, and then they allow your imagination to wander. And that is enough for me. <laughs> I've got nothing on that I point. Will, I, will, I will also add that the tagline for this film is, he can happen to anyone. So I would also suggest that perhaps this movie is incredibly sexist in the first place, too. Excellent observation, <laughs> we, Thank we can, you. We can, we can discuss that at like essentially just insinuate that the defense hates women as well. So... Judge. That's where we'll go for. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let this one slide because I don't have anyone on my side apparently. But one one thing I do want to focus on for uh, Russell Crowe's character in this opening scene that's very different from any villain that we uh, we get see represented in these one day thrillers. Uh, an example would be Red Eye. Uh, that was another movie that this writer did. Uh, this villain, Russell Crowe's character. Uh, has no restrictions. There are no consequences for him. And this is noted because he mentions at the very beginning that he is completely fine with being gunned down. So typically with a, a one-day thriller, we have the villains chasing after the protagonists, but they're also trying to avoid the police. So their actions are limited to what they can do. In this film, now the writer has removed those restrictions and we're opened up to a completely new world, a, a new set of rules of what this character can get away with. And we see that throughout the film. So this, again, this starts setting up the character, what kind of person he is and what he's capable of or what he can do in the very first scene that we get with him. Uh, at this point, I'd like to open it up to our members of the jury. Dylan, let's yeah. go with you, please. Yeah, I'll go first. So first off, what did, what happened? Like, what happened, period? Uh, why is Russell Crowe unhinged? And second off, how is all of this entirely uh, Rachel's son's fault? <laughs> I will. I can answer the uh, the first part of that question. Now, the reason why Russell Crowe decided that our main character needed to die is because he passed out probably in some sort of stupor. Maybe he'd been up all night after murdering his ex-wife and her husband. Maybe he was taking a bunch of opiates and just nodded off. Who knows? We'll never know because the film never shows or tells us. But what we do know is that she laid on her horn a bunch, drove around, and then wouldn't say sorry to him. That's what really set him off and said, I think it's time for you to really understand what it means to have a bad day. That is the entire initial incident for this, this entire film, where he goes on a murderous rampage and kills a lot of people. Personally, I don't buy it. I leave it up to the smart, beautiful, intelligent, sexy jury members to decide. <laughs> Good old bribing. And I will now turn the second part of the question over to the defense. What was it? it was <laughs> How is this all uh, Rachel's son's fault? Hold on, I have to remember the scene fully. Okay, so to, to provide some context here, the only reason, like, 
So she gets in this confrontation and then fat Russell Crowe does the motion to pull to roll the window down and the sun does it. So the sun rolls the window down. If he hadn't, presumably none of the movie would have happened. The guy would Russell Crowe would have just been frustrated and then just huffed off and driven. Yes, away. that is correct. There's there's an innocence behind her child that he does not know what kind of threats are out there in the real world and he is ignorant towards it and he rolls down his window and this is where Russell Crowe starts his dialogue of saying like ma'am do you know what a courtesy tap is gives a little demonstration listen I'm having a bad day if you could apologize then we can be on our way and Rachel just disregards it completely so this could potentially be put on the sun if you want it but it's it's also due mainly to Rachel's behavior no, she didn't need to lay on the horn. No, she didn't need to whip past him uh, when he was at the the green lights. And no, she didn't need to behave the way she did when she was talking to him. She could have just apologized and all of this could have been left behind. But what makes Unhinge successful in my eyes is, again, that it plays off a real world scenario. I don't know how many of you have been in a road rage scenario or an altercation on the road where you've had someone cut you off or go through a stop sign when they shouldn't. It's it's a very frustrating event. And we can see that road rage is becoming more and more popular, popular with people having to drive to work and being stuck in traffic for hours. So again, they're playing on this what if scenario. What if this happens to you? So I think this is completely fine. Counselor, are you saying so that you... Ag- Adam, are, are you justifying what... Russell Crowe does to this woman. <laughs> I have to choose my words so carefully on this one. <laughs> to a degree. <laughs> Defense. Was she asking? What? <laughs> to a degree. So wait, hold on. Wait, can, we just, can we just back up? So like, what exactly does she honk at Russell Crowe for? Like, what does Russell yeah. Crowe do exactly? Yeah. Is he just, so yeah, let's. He's let's, sitting in a left-hand turning lane and he won't fucking move yeah so Through the light, turns, light cycle yes the light turns yeah. green she honks he doesn't move it turns yellow she's still honking she tries like she drives right by him and goes through the red light endangering her son's life and the, the counselor time. is saying that russell crowe is justified and you remember he he is he's slamming opioids at this point <laughs> tons tons of opioids <laughs> and you're defending that you know well, uh, I have to. I'm defending this movie. I, I So she was asking for it is what you're saying. Oh, you can defend the movie. You don't need to defend what he's No, doing I'm throwing myself movie. into this one. I'm I'm fully <laughs> engulfed into this movie in every possible way. So This is his character for this. So this is what he is now. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> this is Russell Crowe as we know him for the next 20 years probably. Um yep. yeah, no, I would defend him because again, I've been in multiple moments where I feel I've been Russell Crowe on the other side of like uh, someone cutting me off or someone whipping by me and then putting no, on no, the brakes. No, it's not about cutting off. You f- you completely miss the turning light, causing everyone behind you not okay, to Okay, let's, let's ignore that minor detail. Let's- if someone honked at me, I'd be like, oh, fuck. All right, I'm in the wrong. Okay, okay. So Let me, I'll, give you, I'll, give you, I'll give you a scenario. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll give you a real life scenario of where road rage <laughs> could have been great. What, like, this would be no, my what Specifically, road rage as someone not going through a green light and weighing a whole cycle. And you want that. That's what. Came I don't have that right? example. I have, I have multiple other examples of where 
I could relate to this Russell Crowe character and it would be in your head to be like fantasize of the what if. What if you told this person? All right. What if you throw it at me to to lay the groundwork to lay the groundwork? This is a series of events where you felt that you would become unhinged exactly like Russell (laughs) Crowe. Go out and murder somebody. All right. Please continue. What have I gotten myself into? Uh, Adam, can uh, you please throw me the what if statement towards me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to try and backpedal slightly. No, it's it's on the record. It's on the record. We'll move on. Anyway, so, let's let's move on to the next. Let's move on to the next scene uh, before we get too far in the weeds here. We'll discuss the next part of the movie where Russell Crowe has stolen Rachel's cell phone and planted his own phone in her car. So he now has access to all of her contacts. He knows all everything about her life and everything about her schedule that she's doing for that day. So what he does is he heads her off and meets one of her friends at a diner that she was going to meet about this, this whole situation. He gets there first. And this, this friend is played by Jimmy Simpson. Is he a robot? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a confrontation there. Russell Crowe stabs Jimmy Simpson with a butter knife. The other diners and other patrons in this establishment do nothing. And then Russell Crowe runs away. Is this all correct so far, I believe? Yeah. 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 Yep. Okay. But now listening to you say it, it sounds so stupid. <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought uh, it is I stupid. <laughs> now, my question for the defense and the counselors, did Jimmy Simpson deserve it? And should he be awarded for quickly getting himself out of this movie as fast as possible? <laughs> did Russell Crowe actually physically run away? <laughs> he kind of walked. He waddled. It was movie magic. <laughs> <laughs> we never actually see him doing anything but uh, standing still or sitting. The, the majority of the diner scene, I can confirm, does take place sitting down. Jimmy Simpson is never seen standing. Everybody, all the big name actors in this movie got paid and got out of the film. And one thing I'm going to point out with this scene is we're, we're seeing that Russell Crowe's character has no limits, like how far he is willing to go. So during this, when he's talking with Jimmy, uh, who's Rachel's lawyer and friend, he has Rachel on speakerphone and he's basically saying what he's going to do to uh, to Jimmy. So he's beating him up and takes the butter knife and stabs him in the back of the neck and then leaves the the diner and basically saying, that's just one. I'm going to continue this cycle. So your day keeps getting worse and worse. One thing I want to point out with this scene also is I think it's a fair representation of what would happen if something like this was to go down. And I know we had a lot of back and forth between this, but I feel the way that people are represented and how they avoid altercations, this is a clear representation of that. Most people ran out of there or most people were terrified. They were in shock and they could not do anything. They were terrified of Russell Crowe. And this, again, is represented properly. And I have to pay respects to the movie for doing so. All right. Prosecution. What, what do you say about this? Would you if, if you Your saw Honor. if you saw somebody being murdered in a diner, what would you do? Well, I can tell you exactly what I would do, because my opponent is completely correct. Everything that happened in this scene is perfect. There are basically three to four different responses that you can have in any kind of situation when Fat Russell Crowe is beating the living shit out of a guy who's just kind of sitting there not doing anything. Number one, you leave. And that is normal. 
I mean, sometimes people just choose to get up and exit a scenario where they don't really want any of that. The other thing that can happen is you take out your phone and you start recording. You, you don't phone the police. You don't try to hide the fact that you're recording this psychopath who can kill people with butter knives. You just sort of film there and stand it. The other thing that you can do is duck down behind the counter and just stare at the wall. And that's, that's <laughs> completely natural. Uh, you could also continue to hold a coffee pot and just stare into the middle distance like no one has given you any direction in the scene. <laughs> the other thing you can do is put your head in your hands, stare at the floor, and don't move. Don't react. Don't try to get out of the way. Don't do anything. Nothing that happens in this scene is reasonable. Even after Jimmy Simpsons gets a coffee mug just slammed into his face and he knows that the guy across from him is basically trying to kill him or at least seriously injure him, he chooses to go for the butter knife to defend himself. He could have <laughs> rolled out of the way, could have said, hey, please stop hitting me or what are you doing? But no, he was immediately game to just get into a knife fight with Russell Crowe for basically no reason. Now, I pose this question to you, beautiful, intelligent, sexy jury members. Is this normal behavior? Is this a thing that anybody would do in the situation? Would anyone maybe in the back go, hey, stop hitting that guy? No, apparently not. Bad writing, bad direction, bad scene. Your Honor, I'd like Back to point to you, out. Judge. Your Honor, I'd like to point out we're asking the questions here. We don't answer questions from the prosecution. <laughs> and that's also, I would judge. I would also like to point out that my esteemed opponent actually didn't answer your question there. You ask, what would you do in this scenario? And he gave me a list of nonsense and avoided your question. So, could my opponent please answer the question? What would you do in this scenario? I would leave, which is what I said the first thing that people would do is. Now, Your Honor, my opponent is a little bitch. Please write that down in the official record. The stenographer has recorded. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's our budget. That's where our budget went for this episode. <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't matter how I would react. That's not important. What, are you what is important is what happened in the scene. Okay, but what and are you... what we saw was a range of emotional responses that do not match real life. And I strongly disagree. So what are you expecting out of this? What would you consider normal human behavior in this scenario? Do you want someone to run up and tackle Russell Crowe? Are you living in a land of rainbows, unicorns, and white knights coming to save you? Tom, this is not a Bonnie Tyler song. There is no hero that's going to save you at any moment. This is how people act in the real world when a fight's going down. They're out of there. They're running. They're calling the cops. And they're avoiding this at all costs. Unless there's like a mob mentality where five people can jump in, then there would be a scenario where people would fight back. But here, this looks like it's a Middle West town full of hardworking Americans that just want to relax and watch a good NASCAR race. They're not going to come after Russell Crowe when they see this. They just want to get through their day. Your Honor, point of point of clarification, what is a Middle West town that likes NASCAR? <laughs> <laughs> I lost my train of thought on that one. <laughs> you just, you Your just... Honor, my opponent has made my point for me. First, he said, oh, people are going to run, call the police or do whatever. It's fight or flight. I believe that my opponent is at least familiar with that concept. These people 
did neither. They just sat there to fill out the scene so it looked like a busy diner. They were it's in bad shock. Direction. It's bad screenwriting. No, they were Furthermore, in Furthermore, you said that this takes place in any major metropolitan area, but now you're saying it's a NASCAR-loving Midwest town. That is not the point that you made. I move for a summary dismissal of all my opponent's points. <laughs> I will disregard the, only- the Midwest comment. The only comment that I'll, that we will leave is that sick Bonnie Tyler reference. I think I feel like the defense used all of his mental faculties just to pull that one out. Yeah, thank you. I put a lot of effort into that one, guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be strong and you got to be fast. So yeah, it's too bad we got to edit that one out. <laughs> <laughs> edit this whole conversation out. Okay, so I have a I have a question for both of our counselors here. What is Rachel doing at the time here? And why has she not called the police to just sort this whole situation out? Now, as the prosecutor, I have a simple answer. And that simple answer is the screenwriter didn't know how to effectively integrate authority figures into this film. Now, I'm sure my defense is going to throw out some bullshit about, oh, she's too stupid, or, oh, I don't respect women, or, (laughs) oh, I, I just think that she's a terrible person and that she doesn't have the mental faculties. And quite frankly, I think that's very offensive. And I, I, I... I wish you wouldn't say things like that, but <laughs> what it really comes down to is bad screenwriting. Because if you involve the police in this scenario, uh, in this scenario, everything would turn out completely differently. But she makes a point to not do that. There are other characters that go out of their way to tell her to not phone the police. So let's break Very down. Strange, isn't it? Let's break down Rachel's character because I feel this is. Objection, Your Honor. He's about to start hating on women. (laughs) If you say the word estrogen once, Adam, you're in shit, okay? (laughs) I I believe the reason why Rachel did not call the cops in this scenario is something similar to what we saw in the diner. She was in shock and she did not know how to behave. She just did not know how to act. And I think if we go back and we see what kind of character she is, uh, we can learn why her actions are so skewed. Uh, she doesn't follow common logic uh, that most people would. So with Rachel's background, we can see that she is some type of a failure. Uh, she's divorced. She's struggling with house payments. She just lost her job. She's struggling just to get to places on time. So I think this is a clear representation of what her character would do. I'm not saying that in the real world, a person would actually call the cops. I think that's accurate. But for Rachel's character and how they've betrayed her so far and the evidence that we do have of her background, I think this is a fair representation of how she acts. She was in shock. She just heard her best friend slash lawyer get murdered over the phone and then have the psycho say, I'm coming after you next or coming after your son. She's panicking. She's in shock. She just does not know what to do. That's why she didn't call the cops. That's why she didn't call the cops. Still a mistake. (laughs) Okay, so uh, members of the jury, before we move on to our final scene and discuss this movie as a whole, do you have any questions for either the defense or the prosecution? I got one. How did Russell Crowe find this diner with her friend at it? Like, how did he get there? What brought him there? Now, that's a beautiful question, and I will give it a beautiful answer. Magic. No, no. He simply divined the information from her phone yes. and put it into his magic brain where he magically appeared at the diner. We find that Russell Crowe... Now, so- I believe the defense has possibly a different interpretation, but please know that it's wrong. <laughs> Judge, are we going to allow him to say that? 
We'll see. We'll see what comes out of this. Okay. So there's no magic in this movie or movie universe. Let's just clear that up. Russell Crowe, we do have a scene where Russell Crowe is driving between different events. I can't remember if it was from fleeing the the gas station to the diner, but he has her phone and he is scrolling through text messages and he is collecting this information about them potentially meeting, where they're meeting, and time. So So the moral of the story is to make sure your phone has some type of passcode and then this would never happen? Yes, but again, Rachel's character (laughs) is a failure. She makes mistakes and that's what causes some of these bad negative things to happen to her she even mentions to her kid yeah she doesn't have a passcode on it and the kid her child says is that a good idea but it just goes over her head because it's a bit more of a convenience for her to access her phone whenever so if she so if she had face id none of this would have happened if only she had used apple products none of this would have happened and that's the real message yeah, that is right. the real message. You should invest into the Mac and Apple ecosystem. Get yourself some earbuds that can sync up with your iPhone. Maybe a new MacBook Air. They just released a new model for Christmas time. Our podcast is looking for sponsors, by the way. Yeah. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got I got a lot of questions. All right. Let's hear them. First question. Um, how hard did Russell Crowe's agent push for this scene to be at a diner where the two characters are seated versus one where they're walking? Follow-up question. How many times did he order a Grand Slam breakfast and the people have to tell him, Russell, this is a set. You can't order food here. <laughs> I believe that both the sitting down scene was in his contract and the Grand Slams were also clearly delineated. Now, Russell Crowe may have forgotten when he was supposed to be delivered those Grand Slams because I feel like a lot of this movie was him just like not being aware that the camera was rolling and things just happening. But I, I believe that you're onto something there. I think if we dug into the fine print, we would notice that uh, all of the scenes just had to be sitting down. Could this be a contributing factor performance. that leads to his unhingedness? Is that the fact that he did not get fed on time and... Uh, that amped up the Oh, hold scenes. on. Are you saying fat people are crazy? That's just beyond the pale. You have gone too far, sir. I got, I got one more question to, uh, to question. Of, uh, it's related to, is Jimmy a robot? Now, I'm not, I'm not some kind of um, robotics expert, but I find stabbing a man in the upper C12 or whichever direction the numbers go on the spine kind of odd. Unless, of course, that's where the data packet bundle is stored and that's how you destroy these robots permanently is jimmy in fact a crossover character from westworld i think the disc that you're the movie go ahead the movie doesn't specifically state that he's not a crossover character which by by airbud rules means he is he is he definitely is so very astute observation thank you you're welcome (laughs) is russell crowe really the hero of this movie he's just He's just summarily dismissing all of the robots that are here to take over our society. What if Jimmy Simpson was the Terminator? We don't know. I like to think that Russell Crowe is actually the anti-hero of this movie. He's doing a lot of negative things, but it's it's pushing things forward. It's it's relatable. In service of the greater good? Yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. Because <laughs> Rachel, again, she's... Your Honor, my opponent is batshit. Please continue. <laughs> He also is insinuating that Rachel, again, that Rachel deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it. that's all I got with that one. I don't yeah, think I can yeah. carry that argument anymore. 
I mean, she honked at him. That's pretty bad. <laughs> Which why I move on. No, I want to hear more about how Russell Crowe is the anti-hero. I really want to see, you know, he's like a Frank Castle type. He's punishing people, right? These are all people who deserve to die. Like the girlfriend? Yes. She, she deserved to die. Yes, she right? was stealing money from yep. blind mm-hmm. kids. It was backstory. We don't know that she wasn't. You don't know Wait, that really? she wasn't, Tom. You're right. You're right. And when it's left to your imagination by my opponent's argument, that is good screenwriting. When we don't outline uh, or really explain or even attempt to show or tell anything about any characters, that's good screenwriting. Okay. I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) (laughs) The court does not recognize sarcasm. Moving on. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay, I want, I want to skip ahead here and move on to the closing scene of the movie. Essentially, we're skipping over a series of bloody cat and mouse episodes where Russell Crowe uh, murders or uh, possibly is just around when other murders happen. I don't know. We can discuss that uh, relating to her brother and uh, brother-in-law or brother's uh, fiance. But we'll move on to the end of the movie where it's essentially uh, the ending of Home Alone, right? Where she has picked up her son from school, inexplicably, and he has a plan to essentially trap Russell Crowe and then take take him out, essentially. It, the, the ending of the movie is, what we, as we can all expect, Russell Crowe gets his comeuppance in the end. He gets a pair of scissors in the eye. Uh, she says a cool tagline there, like, here's your courtesy tap. As she kicks it into his face. So my question here, why, through the midst of all of this, why was Rachel's response to, instead of leaving her son at school, where there are police there already, where he's safe, why did she decide to pick him up in her old school, crappy Lincoln car and take on Russell Crowe on her own? Defense, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you this first. I believe Rachel was under an extreme amount of stress and feel threatened because Russell Crowe's character was again... Uh, saying that he was coming for her son next. He knew exactly where her son was, and she went into mother mode, where she needed to protect her son. So she went to the school to pick him up. They saw in the news of how the threat was escalating, and Rachel did the best that she could. Yes, we know she's made mistakes in the past. Yes, she doesn't plan these things out, but she was acting like a mother, and she wanted to protect her son. So that's why she took him out of school, because she knew that Russell Crowe could potentially cause more damage going through a school full of children just to get to her son. So I believe she did the responsible thing and took her son out of school. Through a gated school in lockdown? Yes. They were. They could potentially be on the road away from other people that could be harmed. Oh, so, right. so Rachel and her son are... She, she's, she's doing the... The honorable thing and sacrificing the two of them for the good of all the other children at the school. Prosecution, what do you have to say about this truly selfless act? Before we jump in, um, wasn't it because Russell Crowe told her to get her son? Was that not the reason why? Oh, we're going to ignore that. We're going to ignore that. (laughs) (laughs) We're ignoring that, Dave. (laughs) We're going with honorable mother. (laughs) I believe that's the case. I don't actually know. There's all, I can't like, remember all exactly. the middle. The middle of this movie is all a blur. Yeah. The, the majority of this movie is a blur. Yes. Uh, I would argue that her actions are unrealistic. 
at no point should this hairdresser believe that her son is safer with her than with armed police officers in a secure location, easily defensible. Russell Crowe is not a supervillain or a superhero, as my opponent seems to believe him to be. He is just a guy who's really fat, owns a pickup truck, and pops pills. That's it. That's all that he is. No reasonable, rational, sane, well-written character would ever believe that their son is going to be safer with her in her little sedan versus with the police. Or bare minimum, the authorities. It simply defies logic. (laughs) But Rachel's character does this all the time, so it's consistent with her character arc. Uh, so I think this is yes, completely she is consistently for- poorly written. I agree. Yes, <laughs> She's consistently inconsistent. Finally, we have found the common ground. <laughs> okay, so I do have I do have some questions that I hope we could. So I was a little bit confused about essentially how Russell Crowe meets his end here. So the son has some there's there's some backstory that he's been playing Fortnite, you know, presumably to get this kid this movie to uh, reach the children. And find some influence there. So I wonder if, if either councils could shed some light on exactly what the strategy was here. Adam, you are a, a, a it's well established that you spend all of your days and nights playing Fortnite. So essentially, yes. what is the strategy here and how does Russell Crowe meet his end? Yes, avid, avid Fortnite fan. Uh, we are also looking for sponsorship. So please send us, <laughs> send us a message. Yes, the sun is a Fortnite player and he mentions to his mother at the very beginning of the film that him and his buddies use a particular strategy in order to lure enemies into an enclosed area where the and then the other friend can attack. So one person is bait and then the other person can come behind and destroy their enemy. We see that play out in this last scene where they decide to go to an abandoned house in the suburbs they set the alarm so the police have been informed and they're on their way and they lure russell crowe into this house uh, where he's trying to look for the child who is hidden away in the attic well the mother attacks and her attack is driving her minivan into his uh, truck flipping it over and trying to beat him up with a tire iron or uh, a putter i can't remember what the weapon was So we see their strategy, her beginning to plan and trust her son a lot more. So we're actually seeing the mother's arc right here where she's coming from an unorganized mother that doesn't really listen to her child. And we're seeing her respect her child, forming plans and forming a way of attacking. Uh, So we're seeing some growth with this character. I want to point out that my opponent said that there are no overall arches of characters in this movie, yet... This scene portrays that. I, it comes comes full circle. Prosecution, what do, you, what do you say about this? Your Honor, just because a series of events happens doesn't make it a character arc. I would also like to point out all of the physical inconsistencies that happen within this scene. First being, uh, okay, so she rams the minivan with her car, which causes it to flip over. She T-bones it. I don't think cars are designed to flip completely over. Once you, you T-bone them. But fine, whatever, it's a movie. She gets out with her uh, her nine iron, ready to uh, completely jack up Russell Crowe. But he has magically extricated himself from the vehicle that was completely upended and gets the drop on her. Uh, punches her in the face a few times, whatever. Then it cuts to the kid hiding in Grandma's house, which is where they are. And magically, 
the mom is able to teleport directly to his hiding spot, thus revealing it. And Russell Crowe pulls them out. They fight. There's the your courtesy tap line, which is the dumbest thing I have ever seen. <laughs> and then, essentially, the movie is over. The police show up. They say, oh, yeah, this looks pretty cool. Uh, it sure seems like you've basically just lured someone to a location that you're familiar with, caused a lot of property damage, killed him by stabbing him in the eye with scissors, and then they just let him go. They let both of them go. And the closest that this movie comes to actually having a character arc is someone cuts her off and she doesn't honk at him. <laughs> then the credits roll. That's it. That's the entire movie. Not well written. No convincing or compelling character arcs. So I have a follow-up I have a follow up essentially about Rachel's character here. She's in the midst of a nasty divorce, we learn, right? At the, you know, it's the first scene, the first thing we introduce, the first time she's introduced in this movie. So she's definitely losing custody of her child after all of her behavior today, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Completely. Yeah. <laughs> that, that no is, doubt in my mind. Your Honor, I know it's highly unorthodox, but can I enumerate all of the charges that have piled up against Rachel throughout this day, just with her child alone? Please do. So she takes her kid out of a school in lockdown. She then proceeds to confront the murderer with her son. She implements her son's Fortnite plan to confront this murderer. She then fails at her Fortnite plan because it's a Fortnite plan and then reveals her son's hiding place only to ultimately murder a man in front of her son. So, yeah, I think she's lost custody of her son at this point. In Rachel's and defense. I'd just like to point out, this is what my opponent believes is character growth. <laughs> in Rachel's defense, she is doing the best she can. <laughs> Just like the screenwriter, I agree completely. <laughs> I also have, I also have another question about Russell Crowe's character here. So, if at any point in this movie, if he was apprehended by the police, would he actually be convicted of anything? E yes, because the first scene with the diner robot, he, he does kill Jimmy Simpson, but Jimmy Simpson attacks him first with the butter knife. He's defending himself. That's and good. he's a robot. And he's a robot, so he's saving us from, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that it's impossible for Jedi to be put on trial for crimes. I, I think that they operate with impunity and, and can't be stopped. Uh, uh, no, I think Prior it, to the diner scene, yeah. he could have gotten away with literally everything. As far as we know, there's basically no evidence linking him to anything outside of, well, it was probably this guy. No, we they have evidence for the, the opening scene. Uh, because it's on the news, uh, saying that there was two people murdered in this house. They knew it was Russell Crowe at that point. Uh, point of clarification here. If something appears on the news, is it considered fact? Well, it's got, it, it has to be if it's on the news. Are you implying, are you implying there's such thing as fake news? <laughs> I, yes, I am firmly on the side of fake news. My opponent believes everything that is shown on TV. That is my point. Thank you. <laughs> Do you think the U.S. election is over? <laughs> I think it just started. <laughs> All right. Uh, other, to our uh, members of the jury, do we have any other follow-up questions on, on this or is it about the movie as a whole? Um, how is Russell Crowe following her around? How does he know where she is? Oh, yes. Russell Crowe, when he got into Rachel's car at the gas station, he placed an iPad underneath her seat with Find My Phone app going. 
Uh, he took her phone, synced it up with that, so she he could use her phone to track the iPad. Uh, so he knew exactly where that vehicle was going at all times. So he was able to track her until that last scene where uh, the iPad dies and Russell Crowe has to aimlessly drive around the suburbs to find the vehicle. And that's thrilling. People just driving <laughs> around the suburbs? That's what I want at the climax of my film. <laughs> So before he got into her car and found the iPad, what was the plan? Yes, Defense, what was the plan? Because I know the answer, but I want to hear you say it. Well, I feel like I can't speak for Russell Crowe's character in this because I don't know what his intentions would have been if he didn't have the iPad. Or I think he probably would have just ran her over at that moment um, (laughs) if he wasn't able to get into the car. I think he would have just ran over her vehicle at the gas station. That That was probably going to be it. It was luck. He just happened to be at the gas station. If she had gone to another gas station, none of this movie would have happened. It's just pure coincidence. Lazy screenwriting. I'm fully willing to believe that she could run into somebody at a left light. For him to magically, inexplicably be able to track her across a major metropolitan area to find her at a gas station... I don't believe it. But we don't know Bad how much we don't know how much time has passed and how far they've driven after the first incident that they have uh, with the courtesy tap. We don't know how far they've they've driven away from that moment. Again, if it is a large city, traffic's really slow. They get stuck behind people. If Russell Crowe's able to circle around a couple blocks, which we see him do in the last scene, he could potentially find her vehicle again. And again, he is on. He is unhinged. He is enraged at this moment, and he is determined to find this woman. So I, I find it fairly realistic. So wait, he's blinded by rage, but also thinking clearly? He's seeing clearly with rage. <laughs> oh, I understand. <laughs> I would reword Can it. Can someone ask a tolerant revenge question? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> is he just tolerantly executing his revenge? Uh, so my question for both you guys is, where are the boys in blue? Like, what are they doing? Like, are the cops completely not part of the story? Is there no police force? Like, what, there what? is a scene right after the diner where the main character phones the police and says, hey, I've got a real problem here. Now, what do you think the police do after that? I would expect they would say, come to the station because this is pretty messed up. Instead, they say, OK, uh, go have fun. Good luck out there. <laughs> at no point do they attempt to get involved outside of when the script demands it. Essentially, at the end. It's important to note that at the end, when the uh, they go into the house and the son activates the silent alarm, that means nothing to the police. There is no like, oh, we've got a murderer who's on a rampage cornered in the house here. That just says someone broke into somebody's rich house. They send literally every unit available. It's just one long shot of police cars screaming into the suburbs. Doesn't make any sense. The police are deliberately ignored because the screenwriter didn't know how to integrate them into a story where the police would have solved this problem immediately. And I have to defend this. This is not true. Now let's hear some bullshit from the defense. (laughs) (laughs) We do have the police showing up at her house to see if uh, there's any issues there. And this is between... I believe the diner scene in the last scene where the brother and his wife are at Rachel's house. We do have a police officer that shows up that saves her brother from being lit on fire. And he does take a shot at Russell Crowe. Yes, it's only one police officer and there should be more police officers available for this. But we also don't know the situation that the policemen or police women are under. They could be very busy. They are dealing with 
Yeah, this murderous maniac driving around town. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're just looking in all the wrong places. So the police could be busy until this last scene where they've pin it together. Rachel's grandmother. We got to get over there. That's why they send the fleet of vehicles to detain Russell. Crowe. So what you're saying is we have no idea what the cops are doing. Listen, writing a one day thriller is tricky. And like we could introduce the police at any moment and this movie would have been over. Do you want a 20 minute movie or do you want an hour and a I half? I would have liked this to be a 20 minute. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> do you want an hour and a half of adrenaline and just this thriller? And I would also consider it a horror, too, because we do have a psychotic man chasing this woman throughout the whole movie. So as justified as he is, right, Adam? <laughs> I would also consider it a fantasy movie because although we were never shown (laughs) goblins, orcs, drow, half-elves, half-orcs, gnomes, we do know that they're there behind the scene. And really, that's what makes this movie great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So we'll go to to closing statements. We'll begin with the defense. Adam, what, what have you got to say about this? Thank you, Judge. Jury members, people of the court. Unhinge is a mind-numbing experience which takes you out of reality. That is all. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just pass it over to Tom now. <laughs> Prosecution, let's <laughs> – your closing statement. Now, Your Honor, I'm just a simple country lawyer. But unhinged is a mind-numbing experience that lasts way longer than it should. It's a 20-minute concept extended out to, I don't know, four or five hours. I lost track of time when I was watching it. The important thing to note here is that it is a waste of time and good night. Thank you. Tom, we're supposed to have the same closing statements. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, all right. right. Give me me the line again. Uh, okay, uh, Tom, from the prosecution, what, what closing statement do you have? No, Adam, give me the line. Oh, sorry. Oh. Unhinge is a mind-numbing experience which takes you out of reality. Hmm. Unhinged is a mind-numbing experience which takes you out of reality. Good. Okay, we got it. Yeah. <laughs> not positive, not negative. <laughs> That's the only way we can conclude this. <laughs> okay, let's move to our final deliberation phase with the verdict with the jury. So is this movie watchable or should it be banished to the depths of movie hell? I'll start. Mind numbing and takes you out of reality. I don't know how that's supposed to be spun positively but obviously Adam tried. I something tells me this is one of those movies you can definitely just watch and you'll be like frustrated at points And then you'll forget it the day after you watched it. I think there are situations where I'd probably just want to turn my brain off and watch it. But I'm not going to be looking, seeking it out or anything. So with all honesty, I probably will not watch this movie. Okay, Dave, what are your thoughts? This movie sounds like a pile of crap and should go right to hell. I think the only thing that piqued my interest is a fat Russell Crowe. And if he's wearing a fat suit or not. But I can do that just by Googling an image. So I don't need to watch an hour and a half of this. I will not. I will not, sir. (laughs) Yeah, show some respect. I will not, sir. Yeah, that's more like it. Okay, both the prosecution and defense have offered some compelling arguments this week. 
the jury have decided that this movie is unwatchable, thus relegating Unhinged to the vault of forgotten cinema. What about your, uh... Yeah, what about the, what about the judge's ruling? What about mine? Oh. Oh, I got... Well, yeah, this movie sucks. I'm... I'm... (laughs) 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 Forgotten cinema. Vault of forgotten cinema for all of it. And with that... This court is adjourned. Come back next time for a new trial with new litigants in the never-ending parade of schlock that is Grindhouse Courthouse.